This is the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear God's Word. We invite you to join us in person Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at Lawford Middle School here in Tucson, Arizona. We hope to see you soon. All right, let's open our Bibles to Acts. We'll continue our study in Acts today, chapter 21. Uh, we're going to look at verse 17 through 36. For the sake of the gospel, Acts 21, we're continuing here. Now, before we get into it, I just want to recap briefly. Last week, we looked into the last leg of Paul's journey before arriving to Jerusalem. This was the conclusion of his third missionary journey. All right. And so that ended with the return back to Jerusalem. Now, despite many hurdles, if you remember, Paul pressed, all, pressed on, all thanks to Jesus and the courage of conviction. Remember, there's so many obstacles, so many reasons for Paul not to go to Jerusalem, and the biggest one was persecution. There was, it was just almost guaranteed that something bad would happen to him um, if he arrived at Jerusalem. However, that courage of conviction kept him from not going through the mission, that current courage of conviction we saw last week, uh, brings forth purpose. It cannot be diverted. And then it's, when you have that courage of conviction, you're willing to, to pay any price, right? And it motivates others. And so when we finished the last portion of, cha- or the first portion of chapter 21, we saw that at first, you know, it, Paul's friends and brothers were encouraging not to go to Jerusalem, but then Paul says, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart. I, I, I have to go. This is what I'm called to. And, and the way he must have just expressed that, obviously encouraged others to say, well, then we'll go with you. And so that's what we see. We see a group of people coming from these regions of the Gentiles, and now they're arriving in Jerusalem. And what happens next is beautiful because they get to have this moment of communion with one another. And also, Paul gets to introduce his Gentile friends, or his Gentile Christian friends now, right, to the Jerusalem brothers, and one of them being James. And so we're going to look into into James a little bit today. James, the brother of Jesus. And so that's what's happening. And so we're going to see what happens, what actually happens upon arrival at Jerusalem. Remember, so many warnings so many potential problems what happens next we'll take a look at that and so far the book of acts has revealed many aspects of paul's character wouldn't you agree there's several things that we've learned from paul as we've read through acts we've learned that he's a powerful clear preacher very very convincing very smart well prepared he studied under the great gamaliel which who was a great teacher of the of the pharisees in jerusalem sharp guy powerful clear man of great learning and wisdom He was bold and fearless in the face of the fiercest persecution. This guy was willing to do whatever. It didn't matter who opposed him. He was willing to take a beating for the the sake of the gospel. Amen? This is just the character of Paul that's been revealed to us through the book of Acts. He was self-disciplined, unwavering in his commitment, and persistent. He was a leader who inspired others to imitate his godly life. To me, that's a huge thing. Like, he was such a good leader, such a good believer, such a good Christian, that he challenged people to imitate him as he imitated God, right? Could you say that to your neighbor? Hey, you should be like me, because I'm so like God, you know? Whoa, 
But Paul was able to say that his life was committed to living for God. He was restless, and it was very evident that he loved the church. This was Paul. And so just, just there, you would think, wow, this guy is a very respectable leader, wouldn't you say? Yet that description is still incomplete, according to the account of Acts. There's still a bit about Paul that we haven't, a side about, of Paul that we haven't seen quite yet, and that's his humility. All right? So far, he's been fierce. He's been bold. He's been direct. He's been doing the work of the, the missionary of the gospel of Jesus, right? He's, he's doing the hard things. And now we're going to see a different side of him. And he is also a humble person. And so humility is huge, not just in Paul's life, but also to every believer. Now, I was going to ask you, raise your hand if you're a humble person. But that would, by default, you know, cancel you out. <laughs> And so we have to just learn to be humble. There's three things I want to look at in this passage. Humility, the importance of it, importance of concern, and also compromise, but for the sake of the gospel. Humility for the sake of the gospel. Concern for others for the sake of the gospel. And compromise for the sake of the gospel. I'll tell you what, those things are very difficult to do until you get over yourself and start living for Jesus. That's just a fact of the matter. And until we're willing to do that, you know, we're going to be limited by how we're used for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because those things are very essential. They're required for us to be effective in ministry. So let's dive into Acts chapter 21. Where we'll read the passage first and then we'll break it down. Verse 17 uh, through 26, it says this. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, we went, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? Then, excuse me, they will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have done in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what is, or for what, from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. 
For they had pre previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. 31. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to, step, uh, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people following of the people followed crying out away with him all right that's where we'll stop for today let's pray heavenly father thank you for this time together we just ask that you would speak to us through your word today lord jesus and that you would open up our hearts and mind father to receive from you and lord thank you for your word we love you in jesus name amen all right let's break it down so we see that uh, Paul is now in Jerusalem, and here's the first thing that happens. It says in verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, who's we? That's Luke and everyone else that's joining him, including the people from uh, these regions that Paul just came out of, the Gentile believers that are with him. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Whew, that's the first bit of good news. They got there with no problems, all right? And they received them gladly. Why? Because Paul was bringing a, a, a gift from the Gentile churches to the Jews, right? To the, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. And so they were gladly received. And so you can just imagine this picture of community and communion, right? People are getting together. It's like, wow, that's awesome. You know, that's, that's something that I love about Way Family Church is that when people come in, new people come in. Remember when we were still gathering at the house? Anytime someone walked in, it was like a family reunion. It's like, hey, Matt, you know, you're here and et cetera. Like that's the kind of environment that Way Family Church kind of has established, right? And I love that. And thank you guys for that. And so we see this also in the church here. They were excited to see one another. They knew who Paul was and they were excited to see that he made it safely and so they received them gladly is what it says 18 on the following day they went with us to james and all the elders were present we're talking about james the brother of jesus the son of mary and joseph he became the leader of the church in jerusalem so we see james here who's receiving them as well by the way james was one of the few who even dared see paul in the first place remember when paul was first saved People were afraid of him, obviously, because he persecuted the church. Remember that? But James was willing to see Paul. James was really willing to have a conversation with him. And so James is now happy to have him back, right? And so that's the James we're looking at right there. And it says that all the elders were present. Now, this is important because at this time in history, leadership or, or, or church history, leadership had transitioned from being apostle-led to being elder-led. What does that mean? That the 12 apostles who were leading the church, who was establishing the church in Jerusalem, they're not there. As far as we can tell, they're not here in this moment. Where are they? Well, they handed off the responsibilities to the elders of the church. Remember, elders are people, trusted people, who care for the flock, 
for the flock. They're the, the teachers of the church. They're the ones who are making sure that everyone's taking care of, everyone's growing, everyone's being challenged, right? No one's forgotten. And so it is thought that there was approximately 70 elders in Jerusalem at the time, the Church of Jerusalem, if you can imagine. It's a big place. It's a big church here, right? And James is the leader of them. The apostles were most likely, you can count on it, doing the work of the missionary, sharing the gospels throughout the rest of the ends of the world. And so that's where they are. And so James, along with all the elders, that's church leadership right there. They were all present. 19, and after greeting them, Paul, it says he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He related things one by one. That means this was a long conversation, right? <laughs> and so certainly the church of Jerusalem was pleased to hear these things, right? Here comes Paul and with these guys that they've never met before. And then Paul's telling them one by one. That means that he's introducing everyone who's with him, right? And the church of Jerusalem is rejoiced to see that. Do you rejoice when someone, you meet someone new who's in the faith? I, I do. You know, just recently I've been uh, I'm privileged with getting to know my neighbors a little bit more. And it's really exciting to see that they're pursuing Christ and they're growing, right? And, 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 and even with other people that I haven't seen before, sometimes I call some relatives and I ask them, how are you doing? How are you doing, right? And when I hear that they're doing well and they're doing the work of the ministry, I rejoice. I'm happy to hear that. And so the church is also happy to see that Paul's doing well. And then look at all these guys. Like, isn't it amazing to see the work that Paul was doing? It was one th it's one thing to be told about it, but it's another thing to actually see the fruit of his labor. And this is what they're experiencing here. <clears throat> he told them one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles and through his ministry. But here's the thing, though, and this is the thing that I want to point out. We see this beautiful picture of community, of communion with one another. But when we say or when we read that Paul told them things one by one, guess what? Paul was doing this in all humility. And we know this because we're, told, we're, we're shared more about this in other, in other passages, and I want to show you this. Paul never boasted in himself. Never. Anything that he ever did was all credit to Christ and Christ alone. That was his character. That was the kind of man that he was. He knew that he was the least of everyone else. In fact, let's read this. Romans 15, 8. He says this, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. I will not say anything. I won't even give my opinions out there or my political stance or anything like that. He was so dedicated to the ministry. He said, I will only speak of the things that Jesus has called me to speak of. That's the whole reason that I live. Nothing else. I don't want people to think of my opinions. I just want them to know truth. Ephesians 3.8 says, To me, though I am the least of all the saints. Can you imagine that? Paul considered himself the least of all the saints. The least of all the saints? Looking back... Or now that we're, you know, in 2022, I'm thinking this, this guy was one of the greatest saints ever, right? He says, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He knew that he wasn't a worthy person to carry on the message of the gospel. He had this wonderful, vivid, clear understanding of the work of Jesus in his life. He was a radical persecutor 
of the church. Remember that? Like many Christians died because of Paul. So he had this understanding of his life and the way just how wicked he's been, right? And yet he acknowledges the grace of God. He says, it's only by his grace that I'm able to do this. Like, I'm really not all that great, guys, you know? And we really ought to have that kind of posture. Sometimes we get a little big-headed, don't we? We, we, we uh, accomplish something, and we are really anticipating some kind of trophy or certificate or some kind of acknowledgement. It's like, come on, guys, I worked so hard. Where, where's my trophy? Paul was not that kind of guy. He knew that, hey, it is a gift that God would use me. I am so blessed blessed by that. And so this is the way he carries himself with humility. And 20 says, and when they heard it, they glorified God. When the elders, when James heard this testimony from, from Paul, they glorified God. They were so encouraged by this. As when Peter reported the salvation of Cornelius's household, remember that? Peter shows up, he's like, guys, salvation's for the Gentiles as well. What? Right? Cool. And so they're glorifying God. This is great. This is kind of like when someone gets saved and you did not imagine that they could ever get saved. You know, it's like, what do you do? You're like, what? You believe in Jesus? What? You know, it's exciting. You glorify God for that because you you understand that only God can do that. You know, it wasn't Paul who saved them. It wasn't Peter who saved Cornelius. It was God. You know, he said, I choose you. And so they were saved. And so the church rejoices. They glorified God. But here's the thing. And they said to him, you see, brother. Okay. So we have this moment of glorifying God. But now we're transitioning to a problem. So we see this time of community, this time of humility. They're glorifying God together. And that that, that sense of joy is going to turn into a potential problem. That's great. These Gentiles are being saved. Jesus is doing wonderful work. We have a potential problem. You see, here in Jerusalem, people who are zealous for the law don't really like these Gentiles, right? Especially the message that you've been teaching them or what they think that you've been teaching them. And so now we're going from this moment, this beautiful moment, to this potential problem moment, right? And this potential problem is of great concern for the church. So that's the next part, right? We ought to have concern for the sake of the gospel. They could have just ignored this potential problem, but because of their concern for their brothers, right? They need to deal with this. And so this is what we see next. Uh, The second part of, of verse 20. They say, you see, brother, you see that word, you see. It's not like... You see, like, you see, like, literally see? It's, check this out, bro. Ponder this. Let's evaluate. Let's, let's, let's theorize here a little bit. Let's really analyze the problem. It's like, let's take some time to figure this out, kind of, you see. In fact, that word you see, um, is, uh, it, 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 it comes from the word theoreo, or theoreo, a Greek word theoreo, which where we get the word theory from, right? It's to really think things deeply. And so he says, you see, things are all great and stuff, but you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews. There's so many among the Jews of those who have believed. So these are Christian Jews, right? 
They all are zealous for the law. What does that mean, to be zealous for the law? That means that they strictly observed the law of Moses. For them, their Jewishness, is that the right word? <laughs> it wasn't just about, um, it's not, it wasn't just a religious thing. It was their culture. Like, this is how they grew up. And so for these new Jew, Jewish Christians, like, it was still important for them to practice the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. And so it was hard for them to let go of those traditions. But here's the problem, though. Paul never taught against that. He never said, stop being a Jew, for he himself was a Jew, and he himself observed a lot of these Jewish traditions. All right? That's never Paul's message. His message is, you cannot be saved by what you do as a Jew. There's absolutely nothing you can do, no ritual, no sacrifice, no vow or anything like that <clears throat> to be saved. That's his message. He wanted to make that clear. We are saved through grace alone, right? Faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's how you are saved. And so the problem here is that these guys were counting so much on their deeds and the things that they could do to be saved. And so that's the problem that we're potentially facing here. They were zealous for the law. They did everything. Verse 21. And they had been told about you. Now here's the problem right here. These people have been told about Paul that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. This is what they think that you say, Paul. They think that you condemn everything that they do. This is the problem. When you show up here, which we'll see, it's inevitable that they'll find out that you're here. This is going to be a great problem for you, Paul. And so we see that, um, uh, again, Paul never objected to these practices. That's not what he was preaching. He was just making it clear. Hey, we don't need to be religious. We need to be faithful to the Lord. We need to receive him as a Lord or Savior. So we can kind of see, okay, this is why they think what they do. And so let's continue. 21, they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Here's a big question. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Now again, looking into Paul's humility, he submits to the leadership of James. And then this is what happens in verse 23. James says this, Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. What does this mean? The Nazarite, the Nazarite vow. We've talked about this before. The Nazarite vow is, uh, is uh, in fact, something that Paul um, partook in early in his ministry. We saw that. But uh, those who are under the vow, just so you guys know, they would abstain from wine. They would avoid contact from uh, anything that would defile them, just such as a, a dead body or anything like that. Um, and they would not cut their hair. And it was approximately a 30-day thing. And so they have four men who are under this Nazarite vow. And so he says, do this, do what they're doing so that they could see that you still are a Jew, right? And what did Paul say? No, I don't need to do that. They need to just get over themselves. Who cares what they think? No. Paul, in humility, said, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, I'm not under a vow, but I'll do that. And I'll pay their expenses. Sure, no problem. Most likely the resources that he brought from the Gentile churches was used to do that. He was willing 
And this is the next part, to compromise for the sake of the gospel. Humility, concern, and now compromise for the sake of the gospel. Did Paul need to do this? No, he didn't have to do this. It was not required for him as a believer to do this. Was he willing to do it? Yes. Why? Because it would make a big positive difference. Remember Timothy? Timothy comes out of the Jerusalem council and then the decision was made is you don't need to be circumcised to be saved, right? And yet Paul says, Timothy, I think we ought to circumcise you. And Timothy says, fine, let's do it. I get it. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Did he have to do that? No, but he was willing to do something so that other people would not get stumped by him, right? He was, he, was, he was willing to compromise so that he would have more access to people who would otherwise not be, would not be willing to hear him out. And so sometimes compromise for the sake of the gospel is very important and necessary, and we ought to learn how to do that. And so we see this here. Um, and so 24, take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. This all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Remember, Paul's been practicing a lot of his Jewish background, his, 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 his traditions, his culture, but he did it more as a, as a memorial at this point because the sacrifice was done. So like when we do the Seder meal, we're not actually, you know, asking God to, to come and pass over and do all that. We're having a memorial of what God has already done. It is finished. The work of the cross is once and for all. And so we don't need to continue to get saved every year. We don't need to continue to get baptized every year, right? Jesus has done it. And so we are saved and we can rest confidently in that. But we, we take a moment to remember what the Lord has rescued us from, saved us from. And this is how Paul interacted with his Jewish belief. And so he himself observed the law, 25. But as for the Gentiles, this is now a moment where James is just... He's standing firm on the decision of the Jerusalem council. He says, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Okay. It is still important for you to do that. First thing, don't worry Gentiles about trying to be a Jew because there's, it's so hard to be a Jew. It's so hard to get it right. All right. So no one's going back on their word here. It's just, this would really help, Paul, if you go through with this plan so that the Jews can see that you're not criticizing them. And so he's willing to compromise. <clears throat> 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering um, and the offering presented for each one of them. So he goes through with it. He is willing to do the hard thing. He's willing to do something that wasn't necessary. But why was Paul willing to do this? I want to take your attention to 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing to know and to practice to the best of our abilities. Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. 
to those under the law, I became as one under the law. You see that? Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I may win those outside the law. 22. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is why Paul's willing to do that. He's willing to do whatever it takes. This compromise is important. It's, he's willing to step out of what he needs to do, right? Because he has every right not to do certain things, but he's willing to be at the level of someone else so that he has that opportunity to express the gospel, to be effective in the work of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Amazing for us to learn from. And so let's, let's continue our reading. 27. When the seven days were almost completed, by, by the way, it took about seven days um, for purification rites, in regards to the Nazarite vow. So it took about seven days. You can look that up in Numbers 6-9. That's what the seven days here is about. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, remember those are Jews from Ephesus, seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him. This is not laying hands like when we're about to pray for somebody. This is like aggressively laying hands on Paul. So these people, remember the, the riot in Ephesus? These were probably there at the time and now they see Paul in Jerusalem and they get angry at that and they stir the whole crowd and they lay hands on him. They cry out, verse 28, men of Israel, help! What's going on? And then they say, this is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And then they say this to kind of put the cherry on top. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And so now there are allegations against Paul saying this guy is the one who teaches and preaches about or against this stuff. He's, he's bad news. He's an apostate. And, and to make matters worse, he brought Gentiles into the temple. Now, why is this a bad thing? Let me show you the temple really quick. All right, the temple was considered a holy place of God. This is a replica of the temple. I think it's a beautiful thing. You can see this in Israel if you go there and visit. But this, these outer courts, it was considered the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, you were allowed to go there. You were allowed to be there. In fact, that's um, where Paul and John, or Peter and John first preached. This is Solomon's colonnade, colonnade right there. This is where Jesus also uh, was, the, the, the Jews attempted to, grabbed Jesus and kill him there, and he kind of slipped out of there. So this is, this is where that happened. So the Gentiles were permitted to be in this outer part. They had a big space. Now this is the temple. This is the smaller wall. No Gentile was ever allowed to enter here. Okay? Jewish women were. This is what's called court of, the court of women right here. Now the next level, only the priests could go there the high priests, okay? So there was different layers to this temple, and Paul is now being accused that he brought a Gentile into this section right here. And that is punishable by death when you do that, when you break that rule. And so naturally, instinctively, 
the, these Jews right from, from Asia or Ephesus, they knew what they were doing. And they knew that if they could convince the people there that Paul brought in a Gentile in the no-go zone, that that was punishable by death and therefore mission accomplished as far as he was concerned, right? These guys were concerned. Does that help you understand the, the situation here? And so um, let's continue. And so they're, they're crying out, he brought Greeks into the temple and he's defiled this holy place. And 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. So it is true that Paul was walking with an Ephesian person or a Gentile person, but it was absolutely not the case that he brought him into where he wasn't supposed to be. Paul knew better, right? And so uh, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut this was kind of like emergency shutdown. Big problem here. We've defiled the holy place. They drag him out. <laughs> they shut the doors and they were seeking to kill him. They were seeking the death penalty against Paul at this point. Word came to the tribune of the cohort of all Jerusalem. Now, tribune, this is a Roman soldier, a Roman commander of a cohort. He commanded up to a thousand people. So this was kind of a big cheese in Rome, okay? And so... The word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion, 32. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune, when the Jews saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So poor Paul's getting beat up for something he didn't do, 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Now, if you're the Roman tribune, you see this mob of people beating up this man. This man might, must be a really bad man, right? This man must be like an epic criminal. And so the tribute comes. He takes Paul and arrests him right away, and he's bound in two chains. You know what that means? That's the kind of treatment that a, 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 a mega, let's, let's call him a mega bad guy, a mega criminal would receive. Two chains means... One here attached to a soldier, and another one here attached to another soldier. This is maximum security. Why? Because this is a really bad guy. And so obviously at this point, the Tribune doesn't know what's going on, but it must be a terrible situation. And so Paul is treated with that kind of uh, security as, as, a, as a really terrifying criminal, I would say. And so he's um, bound with two chains. And then the tribune inquired who he was and what he had done. Verse 34. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. Can you imagine this? This is how angry the mob was at Paul. They really wanted to kill this guy. And so they had to pick him up. Why? 36. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him! Now this is kind of very similar. What had happened back in Luke 23. In Luke 23, they said, it says, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release Barabbas. Same place. Same situation. And when they're saying away with him, do you know what that means? Kill him! It's not get, get, get him out, you know. It's not that. It's this guy needs to die away with him. This is the amount of hatred that they have for this, 
for, for, that they had for Jesus. And now Paul is experiencing this. Which is really interesting because Jesus did say that he would show him what it meant to suffer, didn't he? And so here's Paul being treated like a, like a big criminal. And the people in Jerusalem want nothing to do with Paul. Why? Because of a rumor. Isn't that crazy? And so that's where we're going to stop today because the next part is really good. Paul is able to give his defense. Paul is able to say, hey, hey, can I say something? Right? But we'll go, go into that next week. Um, so takeaways for today, just with, from this portion of Scripture, the first one is this. Humility goes a long way. All right? If we have a, a, a problem or a struggle with being humble, um, we, we really need to learn humility. Perhaps we think too highly of ourselves. Perhaps we think that we've got it all figured out. Or perhaps we think that everyone else is really unvaluable. Who knows? What is causing you from being humble, a humble servant? Remember, Jesus humbled himself. You know, he, he was willing to do that. Um, I want to show you this passage in James 4. It says this, but he gives more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Guys, we need God's grace. There's just no doubt about that. Our pride gets in the way. Pride kills. All right? Let's express ourselves with humility. Let's serve one another as Christ served. It is not our power, our abilities, you know, that that get us, that gain us our victories, but it is Christ through us. Luke 14, 11 says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? Humility is important. As Christians, we must always remain humble before the Lord, and we must remain humble just in everyday life. It is by God's grace that we even have our next breath. It is by God's grace that we have the things that we enjoy in this world. It is by God's grace, right, that we even have the opportunity to share the gospel with anybody else. It is by God's grace that we will enjoy him forever in eternity. And so humility is very important. You know, and I love just the example that Christ was. Christ, consider this, Christ being sovereign and holy, being God, he humbled himself to the point of death. Like, Jesus had every right to punish everybody who ever opposed him. Yet he humbled himself to the point of death and death on the cross. Philippians 2, 5, 8 says this, Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Guys, the Lord will exalt those who are humble. And so let's be humble. Jesus was humbled for our sake. We can be humbled for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Takeaway number two. For the sake of the gospel, we must be willing to compromise. Now to compromise means this. It is to make concession or accommodations for someone who does not agree with a certain set of standards or rules. Did you know that? Someone disagrees with you? 
mm, we might have to have a compromise. It may, lo it may look a lot like uh, it looked like for Sandy and I. We uh, decided to move a TV from one room to another. And so Sandy wanted the TV way up here. And I wanted the TV down here. You know? And she thought that's too low and I thought that's too high. So what did we do? We compromised. We put it right here. All right? And we're both very happy. <laughs> and so it's important. Why? Because it keeps the peace, right? It, it, it allows for us to continue to have that unity. If you're married, you know the importance of compromise. If you're married and you're not willing to compromise, you're probably having it rough right now, right? That's a very important thing to learn to do. It's essential. It is also essential for the Christian because not everyone agrees with us. As Christians, we have different beliefs, you know? We don't agree on everything, yet we love one another, we compromise, and that's a good thing to do. That's a healthy compromise. Like, for example, Daniel. I don't know if you remember this story, but in Daniel 1, 8-14, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Do you remember that? He said, I'm not going to eat that king's food that's been sacrificed to idols and whatnot. And though the eunuch that was responsible for Daniel was concerned. He's like, Daniel, if you don't eat this, you're going to look you're going to look bad, bro, like compared to all the other youths. And Daniel said, I'm not going to eat that stuff. I'm not going to defile myself. The eunuch's like, you're going to cause me to die, please. Daniel says, very well, I shall compromise. He doesn't say I shall compromise, but he does, right? He says, just bring me the vegetables and I'll drink water. If I look terrible, do whatever you need to do with me, right? But if I look great like the other youths, then we're in good shape. You can test me for 10 days, he says. And the eunuch is grateful for that. There's a compromise. That's a good compromise, right? Um, <clears throat> and then again, Paul says that he has become all things to all people. And we have that beautiful example of Paul being willing to compromise, doing the things that he hasn't necessarily had to do. Like Timothy was willing to compromise and go through circumcision, even though it wasn't required for him to do that. But he did it all for the sake of the gospel. Amen. But there are also times where compromise is not good. Did you know that? So compromise is good for the sake of the gospel, but there's also times where we shouldn't compromise. Like, for example, in Hebrews 11, 24 through 25, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of, of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pressures of sin. It is not okay to compromise when those pressures where those disagreements will cause you to fall into sin, right? So it is not okay to say, I'm married. I know I probably shouldn't ask this young lady to meet me somewhere, but this is the opportunity that I have to share the gospel with her or him, right? Mm, no, that's a bad idea, right? Uh, another example is like, you know, I really, really think that our family needs to drive an Escalade. Mm, no, that's not a compromise that we need to make. You know what I mean? In uh, certain things, or, you know, my buddies are going to go to Vegas and they're really just going to tear it up. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but that's a great opportunity for me to be a witness. Mm, is it? Probably not. All right. So there are times where we don't need to compromise. And, and we can probably put a little label that says for the sake of the gospel, right? But no, is it really? No, this, this sounds like a trap. And sometimes we use that excuse. And so that's why we need to exercise wisdom. We need to be willing to do the hard thing. We need to be willing to humble ourselves 
make less of ourselves so that God is made greater. Amen? So just examples, but bottom line, compromise is important sometimes for the sake of the gospel. Takeaway three, don't serve God because you're afraid of punishment. Serve God because of his grace and love for you. There's nothing you need to do to be perfect for God. There's nothing you can do for him to love you more. There's nothing. But we should be wanting to serve him because he loves us. He first loved us. And I think that's beautiful. Like Paul's opponents believed that the commandments could only be kept out of fear of punishment. No. Jesus has removed the fear of punishment and freely reconciled us to God. And we are now overcomers. We're heirs of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we can do all things, right? Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And we have to. We have to really understand it. And I fall guilty of that. In fact, my heart breaks at my pride sometimes. I think that I'm amazing sometimes. And the fact of the matter it is that it is by God's grace, you know, that we're even able to, to be here and teach and preach and be with one another and encourage one another. It is Him through us. And what an honor it is to be used by the Lord to serve Him. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's the attitude that we need to have. That's the attitude that Paul expressed, the disciples expressed, the apostles expressed. Jesus was able to humble himself and, and, and do the hard things for our sake that God may be glorified. So with that, let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, honor, and glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word today. Help us, Father, be humbled, Lord Jesus, recognizing you as supreme, recognizing that if it weren't for your grace and love for us, man, we'd be nothing. We'd be doomed. And so, Lord, we just humble ourselves before you, and we ask you, Father, that you would also open up our hearts to have great concern for one another, that we would care for one another in a, in a level that we're willing to also compromise for your sake, that we're willing to set ourselves aside, that others may come to know you and have a relationship with you. Help us, Lord Jesus, truly just get over ourselves and be all about you. So thank you for your word today, Lord. We serve you. We honor you. We praise you because of your love for us. And we are so overjoyed that you found it fit and that you chose us, Lord Jesus. And so we do not take that lightly. We do not take that for granted. And so, Father, we ask that you would continue to use us to do the work of the ministry that you would continue to uh, allow us to experience those victories, Father, but yet not us, yet not I, but through Christ in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.